0: Jack. Jack is a committed Christian. He loves the Lord and he really wants to serve God in the church. He loves the opportunity to preach. He really enjoys it and he loves the feedback that he gets from people. It's very positive and very enthusiastic. But for Jack, this tends to go to his head. He gets very proud and he believes that he should be preaching a lot more than he is because everybody really needs to hear the things that he has to say. Then there's Sue Lee, she is a faithful attendee to most church meetings. She comes along very early, she's good at setting up what needs to be set up before the the event. She stays behind and she cleans away afterwards, long hours at these events. But for her, she gets frustrated because she feels like she works harder than anybody else, especially those people who are up the front. And she just wishes that somebody would take notice Of her, And then we have Kelly. Kelly, she isn't like Jack and those people who are up the front. She feels that she doesn't really have any gifts to give to God. She feels that she has nothing and that everything she tries to do just doesn't really seem to work, but falls on on its face. And she sometimes thinks that she has to serve in some way because Jesus has done so much for her, she must have to pay him back. In some way. And so he she just tries her best to, to serve, and she's very committed to everything because she has to prove her commitment to God. Jack, Sue Lee, and Kelly. Three people, three Christians, all who want to serve the Lord in the church, but all who, through their serving, have developed a wrong kind of attitude, a wrong motive, a wrong reason for their service. Three Christians that May well be represented by people here, by people at Modern Road Church. I know for me, definitely fall into one of these three categories at some point, and still do. The question, "What does it mean to be a follower of Christ?" is one of the big questions that we're asking ourselves as we read through Mark's Gospel. For those of you who haven't been here, we are asking ourselves three big questions. The first one is, "Who is Jesus?" And that's mainly shown to us at the beginning of Mark's Gospel. As we go through the beginning chapters, we see who this man is. In the middle, we tend to see uh, mainly what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And also mixed with, what did he come to do? Why did Jesus come? And so tonight we're thinking about both of those. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? With a little bit of, what did he come to do? When it comes to serving in a local church, it can be very easy to start with a good motive Jesus has indeed done wonderful things for us And we want to serve him But that can quickly turn into Serving ourselves Or us asking the question What about me? What about all the serving that I'm doing? What if you're not a Christian here this evening? What do you think about Christians who serve God? What does that sound like to you? Is it, is it something like really hard work? something that you you give your life to serve somebody else. It seems you give up things that you love because God hates them. Is that true? Perhaps we think that God is some harsh dictator who makes all these incredible demands of people who want to follow him. Maybe this evening we feel that we're just not good enough to serve. We have nothing to offer. God wouldn't want us because we just keep messing up. Well, as we heard Mark's Gospel read to us as we met James and John in this episode. Two people who loved the Lord Jesus, who wanted to be in his kingdom, (coughs) but again who drastically got it wrong. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I hope that as we see Jesus himself, we'll see the true attitude, the right way to approach (coughs) following Jesus, serving Jesus. I hope actually that as we see Jesus in this passage we'll realise that it's not really about us serving him at all. But primarily we'll see it's about Jesus who serves us. who giving his life. And so let's firstly have a look at the wrong. The false. The false servant. In the little sections, episodes that we have looked at since Mark chapter 8. That moment when the disciples <coughs> confessed Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus has been talking about what it means to be a follower of him. He's been talking about what he's come to do. He's come to die. And the disciples, they keep getting it wrong. They keep missing the point. And again, as we have come through these seeds, we see that they miss what it means to be a disciple. Jesus, of course, is the Messiah. He's come to set up his kingdom. But the way that he's going to do that is through his death. And the disciples, they just don't get that. When Jesus said it in, in, in chapter 8, they didn't get it because they said, no, that's not going to happen, Jesus. You're the Messiah. We won't allow people to kill you. They didn't get it in chapter 9 because straight afterwards they started arguing and comparing who is the greatest. And they haven't got it here because James and John come to Jesus with this wrong question about what it means to be a follower. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. They're on the way to the capital city, to where all the action is going to happen. Mark tells us first first verse that we read, verse thirty-two, they're on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus is leading the way. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He is going headfirst. Others are following him, and those that follow are astonished and afraid. It's this emotion of what's going to happen, Unexpected, unexpectedness of what's going to um, come to them in Jerusalem. They're astonished, they're, they're afraid, they're a bit confused because of things they've heard Jesus say. They know that he's the Messiah and they've been brought up since children knowing what that means, that this is going to be the, the king of Israel and he's going to reestablish the nation. It's a great time and these disciples have become a part of it. He's going to be exalted as king. The Romans will be defeated. They're not quite sure how that's going to work. But they also know that going to Jerusalem is that's a scary place because it's full of Romans. It's full of these religious leaders that hate Jesus and want to see him dead. They're just this small group of 12 with a few of the followers. You know, how is it all going to happen? What are they going to have to do? What are they going to have to face to see Jesus fulfill his Messiah duty? Well, as they're on their way, Jesus pulls his disciples aside again and tells them again what's going to happen. That he's going to suffer and die. (coughs) He gives us more detail than he has done before. He tells us that it's going to be the the teachers of the law that will condemn him and that he'll be handed over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, and they are the ones that will crucify him. Jew and Gentile both involved in, in the death of the Messiah. But the disciples have learned from a young age. That this Messiah is will, will, not going to die surely. And now they're being told a different end to the story. But somehow they still believe that he's going to conquer. They still believe that Jesus will get glory. We see that in, in, in James and John's question. That Jesus will have glory. But how is that going to work out? Let's have a look at that question. To Jesus. Verse thirty-five. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. You can imagine can't and James and John trying to get close to Jesus at the front of the queue, pulling him aside, thinking back to chapter nine when they were comparing amongst themselves who was the greatest. Well, James and John are in the special three. They went up the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus transfigured. Surely they must be up at the top. And you can imagine them saying, hey, Jesus, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Where are your favorites, surely? What you do, what we want you to do, ask. We want you to do what we ask. And so Jesus, in his gracious, loving Way that he does. He says, What do you want me to do for you? Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That would be like two people, two politicians coming up to the new Prime Minister in May and saying, Hey, let me be deputy and let this guy be the Chancellor. Have they been listening? Do they not understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Being one of the twelve, being being—is that mean being great, being with Jesus, being conquerors, being at his right and left, getting the glory and the fame? But didn't Jesus say earlier on that if you, want to be, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross? Did they not get it when Jesus said, anyone who wants to be first must be last? And the servant of all. The right and the left are places of great honor. The king sits in the middle on his throne. And those, his best officials, sit a side of him to rule and exercise authority on the king's behalf. But at least, James and John, they do recognize that Jesus will get glory. That he will be the king. He will be sat on his throne. And so Jesus replies you don't know what you are asking. You desire fame and, and, and position in people's eyes. You want to have the control and the power and the prestige. But that's not how my kingdom works. You want to be like the Gentile rulers who, who lord it over those, who exercise authority, who, who give orders and to make demands. But that's not the kingdom of God. And so Jesus goes on and asks, asks them uh, really interesting question, verse 39. Can you, no, not verse 39, verse 38. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And James and John, they answer, yes. But what does Jesus mean? What does he mean about this cup and this baptism? Well, the Old Testament, the cup. Symbolized the cup of God's judgment, of God's wrath, of suffering in some kind of way. And baptism too, dipping, immersing, overwhelming, suffering. And so James and John, they, they know this. They, they were known in the Old Testament. They knew that somehow the cup of baptism would mean suffering in some kind of way. And so yes, they understand that Jesus will get glory and he'll sit on his throne. And of course that might well mean hard work. It means war, of course. We're going to be fighting a battle against the Romans. They'll face physical difficulties and injury and maybe death and these guys are, are confident that they're willing to face this for Jesus. But as we read, we, we see that Jesus and the boys, they're, just, they're missing each other. They're completely talking about different, different things. <clears throat> to say that Jesus is left and right is about... Serving, it's about suffering. But Jesus is talking about a different kind of suffering. He says to them, Yes, you will. You will drink the cup I drink. And be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. James and John, they don't yet truly understand what that means for them. They will suffer. They will die for Jesus. James, the first apostle, to actually die. They have to wait a bit longer to find out what that truly means. You see, for them, following Jesus, it's all about the fame and the glory. It's about what they want, what they want to get out of it. They want fame and position, power, control... But as we'll see in a moment, this is not the way of God. What about us, our attitude to serving the Lord Jesus? We want to serve God, but sometimes we want it to do because we want him to be pleased with us, for him to bless us and reward us. We want to serve God because we want other people to notice us and think that we're great. We want to serve God to, to make us feel better. To serve God because we know that he needs us. And so we serve with the the wrong attitude and the wrong motives. And so it leads to pride and self-reliance if we don't get our own way. It leads to anger and annoyance when people don't notice us. Disappointment or disillusionment when we are trying to serve our best but we keep failing. Or frustration when we just think that we could do the job better than somebody else. How do you serve a Morgan Road church, whichever church that you go to? Whether you are somebody who stands at the front on a Sunday morning or whether you're somebody who does a quiet job that no one knows in the middle of the week, what is your attitude towards that serving? What's your attitude towards God, towards others? The problem is that when we take our eyes off Jesus and serving him for his glory and and his fame, we elevate ourselves to be glory takers and to be glory seekers. And it becomes all about us as we compare ourselves with one another. But as we see, Jesus is is different and his ways are different. And so before we think about the, the right attitude of serving, we need to refocus and refocus our attention on This Jesus. Jesus who is for us the example servant. Take a look. Verse 41. When the ten heard about this. They became indignant with James and John. Probably because they didn't get in there first. Jesus called them together and said. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles. Lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. Who is this Jesus that we are serving? This Jesus that we have seen the last few months. Great man, loving, caring, full of compassion, done great deeds in the community, healing, delivering people from demons. But he's more than just a man, isn't he? He claims to forgive sins. But only God can do that. He has the power to deliver people of demons. Only God can do that. He controls nature. He raises the dead. He's called by God the son. My son whom I love. And here he calls himself the son of man. What do you know about the title the son of man? Well at the end of the Old Testament it becomes this messianic title. A divine figure that's going to come. Daniel has a vision in his book. And he sees the son of man. With God and glory and and authority. He's given authority to rule all things. And so here we have Jesus. He's arrived, the true son of man. The Messiah that was promised. The one who's come to rule and reign forever. Jesus has come down. And yeah, he is worthy of all praise and all authority and all power. And he's worthy of it and we should give it to him. He's good and perfect and glorious and holiness. And he rightly has that highest Highest place. But Jesus didn't come with a loud trumpet the first time. He didn't come declare into the world with fanfares. He wasn't born in a royal palace in comfort and riches, (coughs) but he was born humbly in a quiet, remote town of Bethlehem. And he was laid in a manger. Jesus said, I have not come to be served. But to serve how does he serve well he serves by giving his life by dying for the sins of the world verse 33 Jesus said, the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus came to serve. He came to suffer and die. He died at the hands of his enemies. He died serving his enemies. He died in their place. He dies in our place. He came to be a ransom, to pay the price for sin, to rescue us from God's wrath and judgment, to redeem us from slavery to sin and Satan. How? By exchanging himself with us. He put himself in up in the place of guilty sinners. He bore the wrath and judgment so that we can be free from it. And although James and John, <coughs> although Jesus asked whether they can drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism, it's Jesus who really and ultimately drinks the cup of judgment. He is baptized, overwhelmed with sin as he becomes sin. For us. I'm sure many of you know the famous chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah fifty-three, famously called the suffering servant, the song of the suffering servant. Let me read some verses, verses ten to twelve. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. So if we want to know what true service is about. We need to look at Jesus. He is no harsh dictator. No tyrant leader. Who makes demands. Who says you must live like this to be accepted by me. No, he's the loving son of God. The one who humbled himself and gave up everything. To redeem us. To save us. To bring us near to him. And he's done it. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we could do. Price is paid in full. And through faith in Jesus, sin is forgiven. But more than that, righteousness is now given to us too. And so in God's eyes we stand before him as holy and righteous, perfect people. Not because we do those perfect, righteous things, but because we have Christ's righteousness. We're in Christ. We've been united to him spiritually by the Holy Spirit and we can come to him. We're ransomed children of God. Servants of the king. The great king. And so how does that affect? How does knowing those truths affect how we serve. The true servants. We serve God from our new identity first, Not as someone who, who tries to, to do it to get into the, the club by earning God's approval. We serve not because we have to but because we want to out of thankfulness and gratitude towards God. And we serve as fellow servants together, humbly, sacrificially giving of ourselves so that Christ may get the glory. We give of ourselves to appoint others to him because he's the one who deserves the fame and not us. We're not like the rulers of the Gentiles who exercise authority, who make sure everybody knows who they are. But we humbly, sacrificially serve as servants. We serve from our new identity. We're no longer slaves under God slave. God is no longer a slave driver. He doesn't demand hard work of us. He's no longer that faraway, distant God, but He's come to us, and we know Him personally. We have a personal relationship with Him through Jesus. We're servants of the King, loved by Him and by His grace. He helps us and enables us to live for Him. Rather than telling us to meet the targets that he sets. And so for for Kelly. Or maybe for you. People who try to prove themselves to God. There's nothing that we can do to prove ourselves to God. But the truth of the gospel is that he is well pleased with us. Because of Jesus. Jesus has met the standard. He's paid the debt that we owe. For people like Kelly who who want to keep on serving to to maintain God's love. We need to know that we don't need to do that. Because Christ has paid the price fully. And he's given us his righteousness. And so therefore we, we serve with love and joy. Because we know who we are. We are serving the king. And even though we're not somebody who is up front. That doesn't matter. God doesn't care about that. It's not based on us, but it's based on Jesus. And so, whatever way that we serve, it is all good. It's all needed. It's all valuable. It's all precious in His sight. When we think about serving in the church, we serve not because we have to, but because we want to. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Because we do it as a response. To the gospel it is a joy, it's not a chore or a duty, but it's, it's a willing response. We remember why we are in the church in the first place, we shouldn't care about what people think of us. So we can come, we can set up the chairs with joy, knowing that anybody who's going to sit in those chairs is going to hear about Jesus. What a radical way of thinking. So for someone like Sue Lee, who works so hard and tirelessly doing the, the job that just seemed rubbish. If it wasn't for someone like that, people would have no chairs to sit on to hear the good news of Jesus. And the reward from God in heaven is far greater than any reward that you will serve from one another, get from one another. Praise from one another is is nice. We we seek it. We, We like it when it comes. But what greater reward would there be from the Lord Jesus? And you know, who knows? Places around Jesus are prepared for those who they've been prepared for. Who knows who will be sitting in those chairs? When it comes to serving God we do it in response Of who he is And not who we are Because of what he's done and not because of what We've done and so therefore it's all about Him and his glory And so therefore when we preach In our bible study leading In Sunday school teaching In music ministry in whatever it is That we may do Particularly those things that are in front of other people We do it because we point people To Christ and I'll tell you that's hard Being someone who's preaching I was walking to church this evening And I was praying Praying that God would bless the sermon And would bless you guys That you would hear and respond But I heard myself praying good things But really my motive was that I want people to think this is a good sermon And I tried so hard not to think that But those thoughts keep coming back as Charlie understands I so people like Jack Or you We need to take a back seat and let Jesus be the one who has the center stage. Because Jesus is wonderful and glorious, and why would we not want people to have that? Particularly people who don't know the Lord Jesus and who are dying and going to hell. If we are more cared about ourselves than we are about them, we've got it completely wrong. But even before Christians, we want to see one another grow in Christ and become more like Christ. So let's humble ourselves and let's serve one another. We point people to Christ. What greater joy is there than seeing people grow in their faith. and seeing people come to faith. Friends there will be a day when Jesus will return. He will come with a trumpet sound. He'll come to gather us all to be with him. He will rule and reign forever here on the earth. That day will be wonderful and I'm looking forward to it. He will sit on his throne forever and ever. But before that day, as we lead up to that day, (coughs) let's, in response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, live our lives humbly for him. Lifting up Him, exalting Christ, pointing one another to him, serving not because we have to, but because we want to. For Jesus' sake. Amen.